you ever felt like an outsider? Yeah. You know, like you don't belong. Yeah. You know, yes, Moises. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, whether it's coming to a new country or uh, uh, starting a new school or uh, starting a new job, uh, maybe going to a party where you don't really know anyone that's there and just been invited. Maybe it's church this morning. You know, just kind of felt like an outsider. Do I belong? to this group? How can I be a part of this group? How can I be part of the in crowd? Well, freshman year of high school, I think that is true for a lot of us. Uh, I think especially for uh, guys, freshman year of high school, especially guys that haven't um, gotten to their growth spurt yet, um, because you start freshman year of high school and uh, you're still, you know, four foot whatever, and uh, you go in, and these, some of these guys that are seniors are just towering. And it can be overwhelming as a freshman. And uh, I remember being that hasn't hit puberty yet guy, uh, freshman year of high school, and uh, just feel like, oh man, this is intimidating. Uh, and wanting to try to fit in. One of the groups I was part of, a youth group with church, um, you know, you start your freshman year youth group kind of stuff too, and you, I wanted to be part of this group, and they did a, a thing that was like kind of the freshman orientation, and there was all this buzz about this, this game called Ooga Booga, and I was like, okay, what is this that uh, they're talking about? And so they took all us freshman guys, and they put us in a room, and then they take you out one by one, and... So, you know, I'm the last person that gets called room, but I'll hear the shouting and laughing and all this stuff, and I'm just like, oh my. And he's like, Again, you're like an outsider, like, what is going on? So I go downstairs, you know, and there's this, you know, upperclassman guy in a chair, and I have to sit in a chair, and he's like dressed up in this crazy costume, and he has this stick, and it's like, if you want to be part of the group, you've got to follow whatever I do, and, you know, this is how you, you know, become part of the, you know, high school group and you know you just like, hey, I, I want to do this I gotta fit in so you, I, you know you just copy everything he does so you know it goes ooga booga and it's, you're totally making fun of yourself right while he's doing it and you know, you know to try to fit in you're trying to do it with as much emphasis as you can to copy and do well and then then he sits up strong and then he sits down and then you know I sit down and they had put a sponge on my seat so when you sit down you like go on a sponge um, you know, and everyone's laughing at you and everything like that. Yay, church youth group. Um, <laughs> but, you know, rather than today, what we're going to see is also the same kind of thing. An outsider that is actually facing something uh, worse than a wet sponge. <laughs> facing something that he has to do that would be even worse. And the question is, how is he going to fit in? What does it mean for him to be part of the group? And I think through this face-off with upperclassmen, or in this, in this uh, passage, the pillars of the church, the powers that be, instead of creating division, like I do feel like Ooga Booga did at times, even though I participated and later was an upperclassman, but instead of division, there is a unity. A unity that happens through this that further clarifies the grace of the gospel. So, facing these pillars, the powers that be in the church, instead of creating division, there is a unity within the church that clarifies the grace of the gospel. So let's read this passage and find out 
this confrontation with the pillars of the church, the upperclassmen, and let's see what is asked of this guy that is he going to be part of the group or not. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they make makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And uh, this is the history of your church and the way that you have built up your body. I pray we would learn from it and see the way that there is freedom through your gospel. And I pray, Lord, that it would apply to our lives Be with us. Minister us. Let all distractions just go away so we can hear your word this morning. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. If you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Galatians. I think Galatians is a really clarifying book of what is the Christian message. What does it mean to be identified as a Christian? What is the good news? What is the gospel? See, Paul was wrestling with this because he was a church planter in the region of Galatia, which is modern-day southern Turkey, into different churches there. And what has happened is uh, he is finding out that people are saying in that church, (coughs) they're not Christians. He's saying, well, this is what it really means to be a Christian. We saw earlier in the passages of Galatians, he was saying, I am disappointed that these outside group." This outside people that are now speaking to you in these churches in this region are dissuading you from what the truth of the gospel is, a false gospel they're giving you. And so he tried to clarify the gospel a little in a doxology. And then he tries to clarify what the gospel is in sharing his own testimony and how his own testimony shares the power and the effect of the gospel. And then what he has is he is now going, after sharing his testimony and how what he says is true and how God has taken him and given him apostolic authority, being sent from God to give a message that's true about the gospel. And after he's gone and had about 15 days just to meet Peter, it didn't come from the different apostles and leaders in Jerusalem. It came from God directly. He talks about this story and what's happened in his biography, in his history. And what's happened is 14 years after that first time with them in Jerusalem for that short period of time, he goes back to Jerusalem again. 
And in going back to Jerusalem again, he's going to start having, I want to say is a kind of a confrontation, a, a conversation, a clarification of what is the true gospel and how it plays out and what happens in that setting when he goes back to Jerusalem to speaking to these churches in kind of modern day Roman Empire, that modern day, that time the Roman Empire in Galatia. And so he's saying this confrontation will help inform you of what the truth actually is. So that is what he is trying to clarify here in this passage. So what happens? Well, Paul takes kind of a motley crew with him, you know, to go meet the big players in the church. And the motley crew is Barnabas, who was formerly Jewish and was converted to Christianity. He was an encourager. Um, He was a guy that liked to sell his own property to give to the church. Um, He wasn't one of the disciples or the big players, but he had come to know Christ. And he had gone and gone with Paul in his missionary journeys. And then he also brings, of course, himself, Paul, who's not always looked at in the greatest way in Jerusalem, considering he used to imprison Christians, and also was one that um, witnessed Stephen's martyrdom. Um, So he doesn't have the greatest reputation either. either. And then lastly, he brings a non-Jew, Titus, who he converted in that area. And Titus, this Gentile, this non-Jew, comes with him too, to the pillars of the church. And who are these pillars? Well, these pillars are the, the big three, I would call. James, who was the brother of Jesus, who was probably what people would say the first leader of the church in Jerusalem. John, the son of Zebedee, who was one of the disciples. And then Peter, who, you know, Christ said, I would build my church. Uh, one of kind of the leaders of the disciples. So, Here is this non-Jerusalem group of Barnabas and Paul and Titus who have not um, gone from the epicenter of Christianity, Jerusalem, uh, to go to the big three in Jerusalem to say, this is what we think the gospel is. So you can say this is is going to be a confrontation. What is it? Does this group that has come from Jerusalem to Galatia, which is called the Judaizers, which say you have to do this and this to be a Christian, will the Jerusalem group side with them? Or are they going to side with Paul's message? And then you have Titus. You got to feel for this guy, okay? See, Titus is the physical representation of the conflict. Okay? He represents the tension that is happening and what we see in the church. And the reason is, and we didn't really hear about what the conflict is, but here it reveals to us. The conflict is, do you have to be circumcised to be a Christian? You know, is Titus actually in or is he out? Has Titus allowed to be a part of this group, these Christians in Jerusalem, Or is he not? And so this is what is tough to see. See, some of these Judaizers are saying, before you can become a Christian, you have to become a Jew. And then once you become a Jew, then you can become a Christian. Just think about being Titus. 
Think about the uncomfortable situation that might come. It's not ooga booga uncomfortable. It's, am I going to have to go under the knife here? (laughs) Here I'm a Gentile. Am I going to have to be circumcised to be a part of this group? Am I actually a part of these guys? As a Greek? As a Gentile? As a non-Jew? Am I a part of this? That has got to be hard. But I'm thankful that Titus had a great friend in Paul. Paul doesn't back down. I think his words in this passage are so convicting. You know, he's saying, it doesn't make any difference to me. God shows no partiality. He says, I'm not going to back down and yield in submission, even for a moment, so the truth of gospel will be preserved for you. He's saying, I am not swayed by the Judaizers who came to Galatia, and I'm not swayed by the pillars of the church. I haven't come for them to endorse whether what I'm saying is right or whether I'm saying wrong. I'm not trying to get their affirmation to see that Titus has to now be circumcised or not. I'm coming to see if the gospel I'm preaching is true for even these leaders. And I sure hope it is, because if it's not, then there is going to be a great division between what's happening in Jerusalem and the message that's being preached throughout the, Roman, the rest of the Roman Empire. See, Paul wants to stand by this message, that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ. Not by circumcision, not by works, not by the law. It comes by Christ alone. And he says, you see, a message that does not say that, that it comes through the law, that it comes through circumcision, is not freedom. In fact, it's slavery. And I am preaching a message that I believe ultimately doesn't come from me, it comes from God, and it came from Christ when he revealed to me. I'm preaching a message that is a message of freedom. Um, I, I think freedom is a tricky word in our culture. It's a buzzword, especially in America. We like the word freedom, do we not? And I, I don't think it's very far off from the Gentile and Greek understanding of freedom. You see, for Titus, probably the understanding of freedom for those in the Roman Empire was um, because many of them were indentured servants and slaves and uh, probably a third of the population, that freedom came from not having to have that debt of being a slave anymore or being indentured, but instead um, being able to be a Roman citizen, have freedom to go wherever you want to in the Roman Empire, and to not have constraints on you. So freedom equaled the self plus no constraints. That was the Gentile culture. I think it's very similar to us in America. Freedom is my own choices No, not having any restraints on me. It's very true of American culture. But for the Jewish culture, freedom came um, from the law for them. If I obey the law, then I am am truly um, living the way I am supposed to. So salvation or freedom came by Christ, for some of these Judaizers, Christ plus the law equals freedom. But here is what Paul says, both to the Gentile culture and to the Jewish culture. Freedom comes 
not Christ plus something else. But freedom comes by unification with Christ alone. Freedom comes from unification with Christ alone. You see, when you say, I can be free just by myself, I think many people say that in American culture, realize that we are enslaved if we are left to ourselves, to our own devices. Our heart is wicked. We pursue things that are not great. We go after things that we think free us, but instead they enslave us, whether it's work, whether it's video games, whether it's alcohol, whatever it might be, whether it's trying to make my family my only thing. The thing is, even those things enslave us. And he's saying only when we are united with Christ, only when we're in a relationship with God, who created us and made us, do we really know who we are really made to be. Then we are free. But then it also speaks to this Judaizer group that says, oh, if I have the law, that makes me free. No, Paul's saying, and we're going to see this later as we go through Galatians, the law, when we are faced against the law, we realize we have really failed. We say, I'm supposed to live this way or that way or abide by this or that. We see that we fall short time and time again. That the law can also enslave us. But instead, when we put the law upon Christ fulfilling it, filling it for us, then it frees us. Freedom equals unification with Christ. Christ plus nothing equals salvation. Joe Esterhaas, he lived this idea of freedom of self, no constraints. Joe made, uh, his movies made over a billion dollars in Hollywood. Basic Instinct, Flashdance, Showgirls. He was also the editor for Rolling Stone magazine. He had it all when it came to fame and fortune in Hollywood. But he would say in his memoirs, I was enslaved. I had all this at my fingertips, but I was not free. Joe wrote this after a radical change in his life that came from the gospel. I am a witness to and a beneficiary of God's love for us. I am witness to to the fact that his love is so strong that it was even able to open my rusty, old, closed heart. I will thank him forever because he gave me new life and a heart which is truly able to love for the first time in my life. His love is mine. He was finally free. The thing is, I think we can go one of two ways when we look at a testimony like that. One, we can say, oh, freedom comes from all this money and all this power and being able to, you know, be the best in Hollywood editor of Rolling Stone magazine. And the other is we can say, well, Joe has to get his life together before he can come to Christ. But that is not the message of the gospel. The gospel says, I have nothing to bring to God, but he comes to me dead, and then he frees me. That is the message of the good news. And you see, the Judaizers are saying, no, you need this. You need to add that before you can finally come to Christ. But Paul says, no, that is not the message that Christ has preached. I 
I want to ask you, would you be one to defend a friend like Titus, like Paul did? Of what gospel freedom is, freedom in their life? Would you be able to tell a friend, you know, if you really want to find freedom in your life, if you really want to know what it means to live a life that is united with God, it comes ultimately and only from Christ. Are you willing to be a friend like that to someone that you might have regular conversations with? They talk about, you know, my fishing satisfies me. My cabin satisfies me. Um, You know, this is what I find freedom in. To say to them, I'm sorry, friend, but that is not where freedom is. It's ultimately in Christ. Are you also able to say to a friend and defend one that doesn't have their life together, that might be struggling through major issues in their life, that might look funky or different than maybe how we look at church here, to say, you know what, you don't have to clean it all up before you come to Christ. You can come just as you are, and he will save you. Can you say that to a friend too? Can you feel comfortable bringing them here when maybe someone here might look at them weird and say, you know what? He is in much as need of Christ as you are. And they can be welcome here. Would you defend a person like that? Knowing that their value doesn't come from how they look or how they act, but it comes in Christ. That is the gospel. Well, how are they going to react? How is James going to react? How is Peter going to react? How is um, uh, sorry, John going to react? How are these three going to respond to Titus being there? We see there is great news. That Titus is accepted in the community. He does not need to be circumcised. And, he, and also we see is that Paul and Barnabas are extended the right hand of fellowship. We did that last Sunday night when we extended it to Josh and to the elders. We're saying that these leaders are preaching the gospel, the true gospel. They are the ones that are able to communicate to our church. We give them the right hand of fellowship to say they are a part of us. A popular argument um, among some scholars is to say that Paul hijacked the gospel message. That he brought a new message that really wasn't the message of Christ. And I would say, no, that's not true. In fact, Paul reinforced what was already taught the other apostles. And the evidence for that is, you know, the people that were in a more precarious situation was not just Titus, but it was James and Peter and John. Because they were around the Jews. And they, this Jewish group that they were around wanted to continue to keep their traditions. And here, these three had to say, no. It's not these traditions that save, but it is Christ alone. And they reinforced, this is the message we have heard from Christ. That it is him that saves. That it is Christ that fulfills the law. That circumcision is the 
Forward thinking. It is what points, circumcision points towards Christ being the Messiah. See, all of these Jewish traditions come to fulfillment in Christ. And now that is the message we need to speak to Gentile and Jew alike. See, Paul did not hijack the message. He clarified. He unified. He affirmed the gospel message that was preached by Christ. But he also created distinctives of this Judaizer group is not preaching the correct message. I'm thankful for Adam Koenig. We had our community group and we talked through um, Galatians 2. He did a good job of reminding me of something that Dan Jackson had said at Jacob's Well and something that I had learned at seminary. And uh, the question is, what things do we die over? What things do we fight over? What things do we, um, you know, say this is the core of the gospel message? You know, we look at it as a target. So in the middle of the target, the bullseye is the gospel. You know, and these are the cores. These are saying who is in and who is out. These are the essentials. I like, I think our church affirms and our denomination affirms the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. These are the essentials of the gospel. The Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The work of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his final coming back in judgment, his saving work for us that we need for salvation. These are the cores of the gospel. These are things we fight over. These are things that we divide over. These are things that we die over. That people that say, I don't believe in the Trinity, I do not believe that Christ is the one that died and rose from the dead for our sins, we say, we don't believe we can have fellowship with you in the Christian body because you are outside of the core of the gospel. And then as you go out of the target from the gospel, then you go to what we call commitments. These are what divide denominations um, views on communion or on baptism or reformed theology or whatever it might be. These are things that I hold to firmly, that the leaders in our church we ask to hold to too. But we don't believe that they exclude someone from Christianity and from the gospel. It is not, oh, I have to get baptized as an infant to be saved. Or I have to um, you know, take communion at this church to be saved. No. Salvation doesn't come from Christ plus something else. It comes from Christ alone. And some of the problems that happen is when we make commitments the core of the gospel. That's where confusion happens. And then outside of even that, as we go from the gospel to commitments, we go to another area around the target, what we call convictions. Whether we have drums in the service, you know, whether I have to wear a jumper to church or I can wear pants, you know. Whether I can drink or not. Whether I send my kids to public, private school or homeschool them. What political candidate I should vote for. Now, these are convictions. I'm sure some of you have very strong opinions on those issues. And that's fine to have strong convictions on those issues. The question is, do you need to believe those things to then be a member of Christ's body to be saved? And the confusion happens when we make our convictions the gospel. That's what we call legalism. 
You see, and that is what Paul is trying to fight against. He's saying, you've added something to the message. It is Christ alone. And when you add things to it, you do not create freedom. Instead, you create slavery. And I encourage you, I'm sure you have maybe thoughts on that. I encourage you to talk to me or some of the other elders about that. But I, I think it's important that we don't confuse commitments and convictions as the core of the gospel. But then I love the end. It's so good. Verse 10 is so rich. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. You see, faith doesn't just end with faith. Faith creates salvation, but then it it unifies us with Christ that the Holy Spirit starts to work in us. That a change happens in us. It just doesn't sit. Faith is active. And it molds us. It transforms us. See, Paul says he's eager to help the poor. Because of the free gift, because the Spirit of God working in me, it's now created in me, as we're going to read later in Galatians, it creates in me patience and love and gentleness and love for neighbor. See, love for poor makes sense to those that cling to the gospel. Why? Because it says, I was poor. I was nothing. I was Titus. And then I went in front of these people saying, all I have is Christ. And then when I come with that message, I realize how, whether someone is spiritually poor or physically poor, how I was like them, but Christ came to me and he ministered to me in my poverty and saved me. And if he did that for me, how much more should I go to the poor and minister to them? See, Faith in Christ doesn't just stand. When you are united with him, you've been transformed and changed. And that is what we see in Paul. He was now eager to serve the poor because of what Christ had done in him. You know, this event in Jerusalem wasn't just some powwow with the powers that be. It was instead an affirmation of the unity of the gospel. And a clarification that is a message of grace from first to last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for incidents like these. We're thankful for people like Titus that went into an uncomfortable position to then affirm that the message of freedom is that it's only you and you alone. And God, I pray that uh, we would not confuse the gospel with other things. That we would not harbor people from coming to you with things they have to do or legalism. But instead, we would point them to you and you alone. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.